All right, so if you've been hanging out with us for a while, you know we're in the middle of a series called Next. It's a study of the book of Joshua. We have two more weeks in Joshua, and then we're going we're gonna to be in the Easter, the three weeks over Easter, okay? And so um, I wanted to tell you right now that we're doing something in Easter called Making Much of Jesus, and I'm going to encourage you to invite your friends on uh, all three Sundays if you would like to, you know, but Easter Sunday is a huge opportunity for us to invite folks to come to the Family Bible, hang out with us, and hear the gospel, be praying for that service that we will glorify God, and honestly, it's so funny, but being a younger congregation, sometimes we're down on Easter because people go home to their parents' church. You know, it's a big family day, and people want to be with their folks. I get that. But man, if you're planning on being here, you like, and think about your neighbors, think about your friends, think about your family that need to come and just hang out, and it's going to be an awesome time. Our goal here is to make much of Jesus, and, uh, and that's why we're going to stop this Joshua series and, and jump into that for a few weeks. So I would invite you to be, be doing that. Um, we're going to get right into the Word today, but... I want to I say something. We've been talking a lot about the story of the Israelites coming into the promised land. The whole story of Joshua is a story of inheritance, of their arrival in some ways. And yet today, I want, we're going to talk about this famous thing called the fall of Jericho, this, this stronghold, this, this impenetrable city that the Israelites had thought, there's no way we can ever take it. There's no way this could ever be defeated. And today, we're going to kind of walk through that, and we're going to realize, we're going to look at what it looks like to stand against God, and then what that looks like in our own lives as well, in the areas that maybe we're still holding out against God. So as we, as we get ready to get into the Word, I'm going to ask you to pray. We always pray as we open the Bible because we believe it's God's inspired Word to His people, and therefore we need His help to understand it. We don't have our own wisdom. We ask Him to guide us. There's nothing special going on here except people asking God to speak. Today, if you hear God saying something in your heart, it's the Lord speaking to you. Don't listen to my words. Listen to Him and respond to him. We're going to ask that he would do that work among us today. Please pray with me if you would. Father, we've come here to worship and praise you. We thank you for the opportunity just to sing praises to your name, Father. I tell you, the, the longer I spend with your people and in your word and worshiping you, the more caught up I get and I start to sense eternity coming. I start to sense this idea that we'll be able to sing praises to you forever. Father God, I thank you for that awakening in our spirits. I pray today as we open your word that you would divinely inspire it. Not that it's not inspired of itself, but we can't understand it. I remember, Father, when these words were dead on the page to me, and you moved, and you gave me eyes to see and ears to hear. And today we're going to pray for that miracle among us, that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear a great and glorious gospel of salvation. I pray, Father God, that today we would put aside the baggage and the crap that came in here with us, all the stuff of life that we're just mired in and it's stuck on us, and we would just spend some time with you getting clean. You are so good. We love to be in your presence, and we love to worship you, and we give you thanks and praise for the great gift we've received in Jesus Christ. And we pray this prayer in his name. Amen. Well, go ahead and grab a Bible. If you brought one, we're going to open to Joshua chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab one of ours. We would love to be looking at what the Word says so you can see for yourself. So there should be some Bibles around the tables. If you didn't bring one of your own, go ahead and grab one. Turn to page 151. And we're just going to kind of talk through this taking of Jericho, this moment of triumph for the people of God. Here's what the Word says starting in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. 
I wanna stop right here a second and just talk about this to remind you where we are. The Israelites have been coming to the promised land. And you remember they, they approached that great mighty river, the Jordan, when it was at flood stages, they couldn't imagine how they get across. And then God made a way for them to get across. He miraculously stopped the flow. They walked across on dry land. They took the rocks in the middle and they made a worship celebration out of it so they would never forget that God can do anything. I'll remind you that, that Rahab the prostitute was inside Jericho and had seen and heard of the Israelites and knew they were coming had put the spies up in their house. And all of these narratives are coming together in this one moment for the city of Jericho and for the people of God. They've been camping outside, waiting. Remember, they got ready. They were sanctified, made pure and holy, rededicated their lives to following the Lord for themselves. You know, something I didn't say last week, which, which I want to say, uh, one, of the, one of the points of that whole rededication to the Lord for the Israelites is that their father had believed, but they maybe had not. And I wanted to say that last week, and I just forgot that, that your father's faith will not work for you. And, and I want everyone to hear that clearly. If you're banking on some ancestral obligation, some your, your granddad's a good, you know, uh, believer, your parents are faithful, and you're somehow, that's going to somehow just trickle in. God is after your heart. He's after my heart. And I told you last week, the beautiful thing is that means that God will save you despite your heritage. That's my story. Despite the lack of faith in my story, God reached in and saved me. And yet the same is true on the inverse, that you can't inherit your faith. You can be taught, but you have to adopt it for yourself. Well, the Israelites have now adopted their faith of following God. They're after him. They're pursuing him. They're believing in him for the promise. And they're outside Jericho. But here's what's happened. Jericho is shut up tight. Jericho is closed up, man. They've drawn the bridges in. I talked about the two ramparts and the city on the hill. They said when you walked up to Jericho, it reached to the sky. It reached to the sky. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to places that are overwhelming. Like if you go to downtown, maybe you go to Chicago or New York and you walk on the skylines and you go, there is no way. This is the same experience they had except that these are just buildings. That place was built as a fortress. It was built to keep everyone inside of it safe. It was everything that people could do to preserve themselves from one another. And here into this place, God stakes his claim. And he says, you will have the promised land. And these people will fall to you because of me. But Jericho is shut up tight. When confronted with the reality that God is coming, they just close the door. Have you ever done that before? You close the door. I used to be one of those guys that when I saw that guy on my front porch, man, after Tim showed up at my house, I closed the door. You know what I mean? Turn off the lights. I was one of those guys who would hide behind the couch and look outside. Are they gone yet? I'm not talking to these people. By the way, those weren't Christians. Where were you guys? No, no Christians came to my door. Just people selling religion. No one came to my door and said, Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you. You know, in two, I'm going to tell you something, in two or three weeks, we have a guest speaker coming here on Palm Sunday. And you know, I'm going to tell you this story, but one of the things that he did right is he just sat and let me go. And whenever he came, Chris said, don't say nothing crazy, it's the preacher coming. And I said, well, he's coming to my house, he's going to hear what I have to say. Praise God. He just sat with me, you know. He wasn't selling religion. He kept telling me this, listen to the promise, you'll know. And when you do, I'm going to be so excited. When God moves in your life, I'm going to celebrate with you. You see, 
That's the reality here as Jericho. They're more like that scared people. They're, they're like hiding behind the blinds of life. You know? They're like, if we wait, God will go away. And they're shut up tight. I, I love the words shut up tight. It, it kind of reminds me of being all you know, puckered up. You know what I mean? You're all like, mm. you know, you're just hoping somehow. You're like hiding under your blankets of your life. You know, just, it's going to pass. It's going to all be okay eventually. I've got my dirt walls around me, and it's not, the storm can't come. And yet they had seen the miraculous signs of what God can do. I'm telling you something. They had seen the, the Jordan be stopped. They had heard that in Egypt the people were delivered through the Red Sea. But here they had seen the Jordan be stopped with their own eyes. They had seen, they had heard of it. They knew God's power. And yet their decision when God came knocking at their door was just to close up shop. I want to make a point of this because the reality is that many of us are in that same boat. Many of us will choose to resist God. Many of the people that you want to sit down and talk to about Jesus because God's laid them on your heart, many people that you're praying for, and by the way, no one can stop you from praying for someone. I love that. I had someone tell me one time, don't you effing pray for me. And I thought, that's a good idea. I'll just effing pray for you. You know, by the end, we were friends. Isn't that awesome? They can't, you can't stop me. I had a great friend of mine. Just don't pray for me. Whatever you do, respect me. Don't pray for me. I do respect you. That's why I'm going to pray for you. God, save him. Save him from himself. Many of us will resist God. I want you to understand this because in this world we go, why don't people believe in Jesus? Why don't people accept the gospel? Many will close up shop and hope God goes away. They're convinced that they're a little mound. You know, it's funny because Jericho wasn't all that big. But to them, it was their kingdom. You know what I mean? They had this little bitty scratch of dirt, you know. And they're like, we're going to protect this. And we got this high ground, man. No one can come and get us. And this little bitty speck of dirt. And they're going to close up and ignore the creator of all things. And they were standing on God's holy land. They could have been inheritors of his promise. But they just shut up tight. They closed up tight. And you will meet people like that in your life. They're going to be resistant to the gospel. They're going to say, I don't want to hear it. Don't talk about that God stuff. I'm hurt by religion. I don't like church. I don't like people who go to church. They're hypocritical. They're liars. They're fakes. They're phonies. They're going to close up. And we know what we do. We pray for an act of God. And you know where we find our hope? In the very power of God because he somehow drew out this sinner who was closed up against him. That's your story, and that's my story. But you see, many people will resist God even unto death. They will. They will just thumb the nose at the creator of the universe and say, I don't want it. I don't need it. I'm going to talk about two things today, two areas as we walk through Joshua and the taking of Jericho. I want you to hear the story, but I'm going to talk about two particular things I want you to be thinking about. One is people who resist God in their life. They are Jericho. They believe if they have high enough walls, they will not be affected by the God of the universe. I want you to think about those people today. Maybe it's you. Maybe that's you today. Your whole life is sanctioned. You're just, you got your walls up, you're safe, you've been hurt, and you ain't taking any risks anymore. You got the cannons on top, you know what I mean? You're ready to fight. Maybe that's you. I bet you all of you know somebody like that. That's one. The second thing I want you to think about today is this. 
as people who are being redeemed, Tim said earlier, I thought I was fully sanctified after one summer. You know what I mean? You know, you meet Jesus, you're like fully sanctified. True, right? And yet you and I have these little areas of our life, we talk about this a lot, where we kind of close off, you know? I was thinking this week, I got pretty convicted about my online lifestyle, right? Because I'm a technology guy, and so I have a lot of stuff. You know, I have like, account, I have what's called an email throwaway account. Who has that? You know, if you want to enter into the sweepstakes and get the free whatever, but you don't want to get email from these people if they become obnoxious, you just dish that email after you're done with it. I, I have certain boards where I comment on certain names, you know. I mean, it's not bad stuff, but I do. I have like pseudo names I write under because I want to express my opinion. And, and then I have several emails. I might give you my personal email. I might give you my church email. And we have all these siloed areas of our lives. We try to keep it all so separate. I was convicted this week about that disingenuousness of not being one person everywhere. I'm not hiding nothing. It's just kind of how it happens, right? The truth is that for many of us who know Christ in our life, we'll have that stuff and then we'll just put a little wall around it. And maybe it's big stuff, you know. Maybe you know Jesus and you're brand new, but you got this whole area and you keep hiding it because you're like, if I was real about this area of my life, no one would love me. God wouldn't forgive me. No one would understand me. And so you decide to put your own mud-made walls up around it, you know, and you're like, I'm going to keep this away from God so he'll still love me in the good parts of my life. But that's a lie, you see, because here's the amazing thing about Jesus. When he stakes a claim on your life, he wants all of it. He wants everything. And so for many of us, we will resist God in areas of our life. I'm amazed. I'm amazed by our tendency to do that. We'll say, Lord, you can have everything, but ju just not this one thing. Lord, I follow you 98% of the time, but that little 2%, just, just give me that little thing. And we kind of coordinate off. We say, but this is, but you see, you're holding on to your own kingdom there. And God's like, I made a claim over you. Listen to me. Many, many will resist God in their lives. So I want you to think about those two things today. The parts of your life that if you know Christ as Savior, you might be holding on to. And then for some of you, your whole life, you're still just not having it. You're not listening to the God who has been speaking to you in your life. My question for you today is what areas of your life are you closed up tight? You know, I can always tell the area that God's working the most uh, passionately to, re to release me from because I'm hanging on to it. It's the stuff that I go, Lord, I'm not. And sometimes as Christians, we'll even Christianize it. We'll say, I'm keeping it for Jesus. And Jesus is like, I don't even have it. That's all you. You won't even give that to me. And, you, and, and it's almost like this direct correlation between the things that God wants us to let go of and the things that we're clinging to so tight. You think about the teachings of Jesus. I was so convicted this week when he says things like, don't worry what you will eat or what you will wear or what you will drink because I provide for all of my creatures. You see, I find myself hanging on to that stuff. Lord, what's going to happen if I let go? And he's like, well, why don't you just let go and find out? I don't know what it is for you, the things that you're just clinging on to. Maybe it's something dark in your past. You just got to shut up tight against God. You shut it up. Just stop, stop. And you pretend. But God is not happy with us pretending. Many of us will resist God, I want you to see that. And I'm going to ask you today as we walk through this text that you see it from the perspective of Jericho. 
Many people love to talk about this text from Joshua's perspective, and that's cool, but I want you to see it as standing against God. These people in Jericho were really resisting him. They were closed up against what the Lord was about to do. Listen to me. They were closed up against what the Lord was about to do. It wasn't what he might do. It wasn't what he could maybe do someday. It was what was going to happen, and they were just closed to it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. Many of us will resist God. Read on with me if you would. Picking up now in verse 2. Then the Lord, that's Yahweh, the same God that created all things, said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Listen to that. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do that six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the wall will collapse, and the people will go up, every man straight in to the city. So it's interesting to me because this is God's plan. I'll remind you that some of these men had left home and wives and children to go and fight for their brothers in the promised land. They were, their property was on the other side of the Jordan. And they had come here to fight. And, and Joshua's like, all right, Lord, what's your plan? I was like, here's the plan. You're going to march around the city once every day. And you're going to wait. And you're going to do that for six days in a row. And the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. And you're going to blow the trumpet while you watch. And then whenever you hear that horn, you're all going to yell. And I'm going to give you the city. Right? This is God's plan. So that's the first thing I want you to see. Here's what Joshua does. Look at Joshua. I love Joshua. If there's one thing that Joshua is, it's obedient. I think there's the, the, the text every week, I think one I'm going to put on the screens, I think obedience. Be obedient. Be obedient. The whole story of Joshua is about obedience to God and his work. Here it is, picking up in verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Now these guys are going to be like, yeah, we're going to take the city. We're going to go march around the city and then we're going to take it. Then Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark's, ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. He's got this little parade going around Jericho. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, look at it in verse 10, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not sound a word until the day I tell you to shout. And then shout. Okay, now are you with me? You in verse 10? I want you to march around the city. And these people have been waiting for this. They're all amped up. They're ready to go. But he's like, I don't want you to say a word. I don't want you to give any war cry. I don't want you to mock the enemies of God. Just walk around them. Not a word out of you until I say shout. Now, put yourself inside Jericho for a minute. You've seen these people, their God stopped the river. This has never happened before in your neighborhood. The river has been stopped. You know what I'm saying? This is big news. And yet, when they come across these strange people, these weird people who are at your door knocking, saying, we're going to take your city by the power of God, they stand outside and they walk around your city. 
And you're watching them. You know what I mean? You're not stupid. This is your kingdom. You're going to protect it. And you're going around window to window. Where are they at? Where are they at? What are they doing? And they get back to the front and they go home. What would you be doing if you were in Jericho? I'd be scratching my head. That was the weirdest thing I ever saw. Do you know what I mean? There are times in your life, times in my life, where God's call for us to be witnesses for him will look like foolishness. There are times in our life where God's call for us to be faithful witnesses will be perceived by our enemies as foolishness. You're just walking around my house, man. Why are you walking around my house? Woo! Get this. Day two, dawn. Everybody gets up. Priest, get your stuff out. Ark of the covenant, man. Holy God with you. You walk around. Not a word from you people. And they watch you. Day two. And they go back home. I mean, you think about it. These guys in Jericho are ready for a fight. They're ready for a battle. They're ready for a siege. Three times around the house. Four times around the house. Five times around the house. I can't tell you if if that was me on the inside of Jericho, the fifth time God's people walk around like, you people are goofy. (laughs) You know, ooh, what are you going to do? Walk it to death? I mean, what's going to happen? I mean, seriously, do you have a plan of attack? I'd be making fun of people like, come on. And the people of God are silent. You know, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. When God's saying, don't speak, just walk. In your faith life, when you feel like, I just got to say something, and it's that spirit of pride in you because you're humiliated, and God's like, just walk. Just walk. And you go around, and people sneer and giggle and laugh. But you're being obedient. I want you to see that. They go around and around and around. I want to tell you something. And this is the grace of God. But many of you have people who have been walking around your life, bearing witness. Many of you today have told me stories of how you're walking around someone's life, just bearing witness. And you feel like fools. But many of you are inside Jericho and you got your safe place. And these weird people are walking around and they call themselves people of God. And you go, these people are just goofy. These people know what's happening. And you become overconfident in your security. Five times, six times. Can you imagine how good Jericho is feeling about themselves? Nothing's happened yet. This is all talk. There's no God. The, jo- the Jordan thing was a fluke. And yet God's people walk in faith. I told you two things to think about today. One is people who don't know God, maybe it's you. And one is areas of your life. Convicting. Convicting to me. The areas of my life that God's been walking around. And you know what God says when he walks around your life? When he walks around those areas of your life you won't let go of? He says this, it will fall. It will fall. 
This isn't an if-then situation. Maybe, perhaps, someday. You see, God will have his way, and it will fall. And yet, there's areas that I just go, no, that's the mind, no. And God's been walking around it, and his people have been walking around it. And you're like, I'm not letting go of that, though. I'm shut up. I'm not going to let go of that. Read with me a few verses here. Let's pick it up in verse 10 again. But Joshua commanded the people, do not give a cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I sell you to shout, and then you shout. I told you a minute ago there are times that we are not called to say anything, just to bear witness, but here there's coming a day when you will be called to shout, and then you shout. So, verse 11, he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next day, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, carrying the trumpets, went around, forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing their trumpets. And the men ahead of them and the rear guard following the ark of the Lord, and the trumpets were sounding. On the second day, they marched around the city, and they returned to camp. They did this for six more days. Six more days. Here it comes. Here it comes. Verse 15, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. They just kept going. Now something different's happening. The people of God aren't stopping. The seventh time around when the priests had blown the last trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, now you shout because the Lord has given you this city. Because the city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Here's this promise, this beautiful promise to Rahab. Only Rahab the prostitute and all of her house and those who were with her will be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. Because the truth is this, and this is what Tim is after, and this is what I believe as well, is that there are times that we are called to proclaim the gospel. There are times, there's a day when you are called to say, and it's Jesus Christ and his son on the cross and not our works and not our righteousness and not dead religion and not something that men made up, but this profound work of God. But you see, this happens after they've faithfully been witnessed to. There comes a day when he says, you will shout and the people shout. Hear what Joshua says. Why do you shout? Because God has given you the city. God has given you the city. I told you this story earlier about that pastor that came and sat with me. The only one that came in and respected me, and listened to me, and let me blow off all my steam. And I had a lot of steam to blow off. It was the grace of God. Because there came a day when I was all kicked out. You know what I mean? I, was, I, I mean, I've been fighting. I thought I was still good. I was just pretty cocky, actually. I'm like six times. Well, I was going to church. That's how impressed I was with Christians. I was going to church as a non-believer. You know what I mean? And that day, God said, shout. And I heard the gospel. I read the story of Jesus for the first time. I, I, I opened the book and I started to explore. And lo and behold, the God of the universe, the living word, spoken, he, he, he moved. And he took the city. The walls came down. It was beautiful. It was devastating. There comes a time, a perfect time in God's plan when we are called to shout. I've had this with some of my friends where you told them all, you, you tried to witness to, and finally you say, it's just Jesus. It's Jesus who's going to save you. 
It's his death on the cross that will redeem you. The reality is, this is what we proclaim when a time comes to shout. I praise God for, I praise God for all of those things, the faithfulness and the shouting. I wonder, though, when we read verse 14 there, whenever he says, I'm sorry, not 14, whenever he says, in verse 16 and a half, 17, shout for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Check it out, devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute will be spared because of her faithfulness. I wonder that when you and I speak about things, my question for you is, do we speak with faith in that moment? You know what I mean? Like, do we believe God is gonna do something there? Joshua says, the moment comes that you shout for the Lord, that, that God will move. I, I, I can tell you that there's no, that's what I said earlier, there's no miracle greater than God moving in the heart of one of his people. That's the day you shout. That's the day you proclaim. That's the day you celebrate. That's the day that God has made known, that we make much of Jesus, and we praise God for his faithfulness. But do the things that you say demonstrate faith? I'm gonna take a little rabbit trail here. I ask you when you talk to other people, but what about those areas of your life? You've already brought them to mind, the things you're hanging on to so tight, those, those things that you can't let go of, whatever it is. Do you speak faith over those things? Do you, do you say crazy prayers? Like, Lord, I can't deal with this anymore. I, it, it hurts, I'm stuck and I, I can't. I, have you ever I prayed that prayer that God would just pry your fingers open and take it from you because you can't let go of it? Have you ever invited him in to do that work in your life? That's the prayer of a disciple, I believe. That when you realize you're holding that thing, you just say, Lord, take it. Take the city. Speak in faith in Jesus' name. Speak believing that he has delivered you wholly into his kingdom. Fully sanctified. I don't do that often. I pray that God would give me the strength, the courage, his spirit's presence in my life that I would do it more often. That I would say, take that thing, Father, from me. I don't want it anymore. I want you. I want all of you. And that means you get all of me. Read with me, if you will. Picking up, 18. But keep away from devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction. Check it out, by taking any of them for yourself. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble upon it. We're gonna talk about that next week. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Verse 20. When the trumpets sounded, check it out, the people shouted, obedience again, and the sound of the trumpets, when the people have a loud shout, the wall collapsed. Every man charged straight in ahead of the other, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword everything living in it. Men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. That's a hard text to read. That's a hard thing to talk about. That, that there will be people who will resist God to the point of death, who will go to their graves defying God's presence. And, and, and you know what? I was there. I was there. 
in that city. Shut up. But the reality, and the, the last thing we're going to kind of share from this today is this, that nothing will stand against God. I want you to hear that today. Nothing will stand against God. You see, because we read that and we go, God, how can you move like that? How can you take women and children? How can you take cattle and sheep? How can you destroy an entire city? What is that about? But the reality is that we do not understand the offense that it is to stand against God. Right? I mean, we're all caught up in the human tragedy of it all. He made everything. And some of us in his creation are not having it. Nothing will stand. No stronghold in your own life will stand. No people who stand against God will stand. And I always said this, man, the best thing is that happened was that when Christians got out of the way of me fighting with God directly, and I lost the war immediately. Immediately. As long as I can be distracted with debates, you know what I mean? As long as I can be distracted with these little things, it never had, because it gave me something to do. But the minute I had to deal with God, I tell you before, my faithful wife was one of the best blessings to me because she was just believing for seven years that God would do a miracle. And the minute she stopped fighting with me about my faith, I took it to God. <laughs> if you're here today and you don't believe in God, take it to God. I dare you. I dare you. And come back to me and tell me you talked to God and he didn't talk back. You see, nothing will stand against him. Nothing will stand against him and his gospel. And as much as we see the tragedy of these people in Jericho who resisted God, we do not understand the travesty of us standing with our fists and all of our self-righteousness against the God who is only trying to save us. Only trying to save us. You know what's funny? I want to remind you that the reality is that they had a chance to know and believe. They could have invited Israel in. I know it ain't in your Bible, and you go, you can't say that, but you know what? Rahab is in your Bible. Rahab, whose house was built into the wall. And when she saw God on one side and stupid people on the other, she picked God. Listen, some of you are more worried about stupid people in your life than you are God. Well, what are my friends going to think? Who cares? What are my neighbors going to think? Who cares? God is at the door. Rahab is proof that God delivers his people. And they had a chance. The kings knew he was coming. They could have rolled out the carpet and said, take the city. We are yours. They didn't. They chose to stand against God. And we, humans, in all of our sinfulness, have a pity party for those who stand against God. And God won. I got news for you today. And I stood against God to the end of my life. Listen to me. And this isn't a gift of mine. It's his grace to me. But I would have been utterly destroyed by him. If I choose to continue to live with sin in my life as a follower of Jesus, his spirit living in me, born again, believing, he will make me miserable. 
The truth is that no one stands against God. Look at what happens, man. When they circle the city and they shout, I want you to see the speed of what happens. Six times they walked around, everybody's going, eh, I'm bored. You know what I mean? Maybe you're there right now. Eh, nothing's going to happen. Seventh time around, it was over. It was over. Like that fast. Their, their fortified city they were so proud of, the big battle they were waiting for, it never happened, man, because the city fell at the word of the Lord. The speed of his great and terrible day is staggering. It's staggering. And I want you to understand something, that this isn't something just of Jericho, because you're going, okay, it's this, it's this you know, little hill in the middle of the Middle East, whatever, you know. But listen, this is about your life. Because you know the Bible says that when Christ returns, and he will, it'll be like the blink of an eye. It'll be like a flash of lightning. You're inside your fortified walls, and you're like, I got this. I got mine. And that fast, man, it's all over. It's all over. The speed of the day of the Lord's coming is profound. It's profound. And he's standing at the door. The second thing I want to share with you is the perfection of God's plan. You know what's so funny? I want to show you something. I told you a few weeks ago about this, um, the city that, that they had built. This is pretty dim. I apologize for that, but you know, check it out. So here is the outside wall. This is about to scale. Here's these little short dudes. This is the Israelites, you know, walking around the outside. Look how pathetic that is. And then here's this stone wall. And then here's these ramparts, these things that stood up, right? And they were up the hill, so they kind of were guarding. And this looked like a pretty good plan to the men who were inside that city. Like, this is a great idea. No one will be able. And the Israelites, when they were men, they went up and they said, man, we can't take the city. Look at that thing. I can't jump that high. There's no way we're getting up there. By the way, Rahab was living right here against this wall, so she had a lot to lose. Maybe that's you, right? And all the king's people are up there safe and sound in their luxurious mansions and whatnot. I don't know if they really had that, but you know what I'm saying. But here's what's so funny. And let me, I'm going to see if I can explain this. What happened, and this has been shown in archaeology. They've dug this up. This is crazy. What happened is when Jericho fell, right, all this stuff, all this crap that they had piled up here on the top just collapsed right here next to this really awesome big stone wall that they had built to keep God and all his people out. And, uh, and there are other enemies, to be fair with them, but you know what I mean. And it fell, and it collapsed. And you can see how when these bricks and blocks and stuff fell, well, it just made a great ramp. That's what happened. Do you get me? Like, all the stuff they thought was, they were safe forever. When it fell, it's like the doors were open, man. It's like, it was like the invitation, come on in. There was no way to defend the city anymore. This, look at what the word says. It says that the men went up one after the other. They ran straight ahead, one behind the other, into the city. There was a hole, and they took it. God made a way, and they went. They took the city for his glory. That's what the word says. Here's another. The, what's interesting about this, by the way, is that there are archaeologists who are digging this stuff up. Those who believe and those who don't believe, and they're finding the evidence of these things I'm showing you. But there's this kind of idea, right? This is kind of an artist's sketch of, of what it would have looked like when the walls fell. There's all kinds of conjecture, but who cares? Honestly. Because what I want you to get is not that, oh, this Jericho fell, you know, to the people of God. But I want you to get that God delivered. He delivered on his promise. And all those things in your life that you think are keeping you safe, that will stand against God, that will, that will keep you protected, whatever hardness of heart you have around, the crusty stuff on the outside, whatever it is that you think is keeping when you, when you finally are overcome by the presence of God, when he moves, that stuff's going to fall away and it's going to create a ramp right into your soul. He will take the city. And if you are inside there and you're resisting him to the end, well, he will destroy you utterly. It's great and terrible stuff. It's the truth that we all still live in, even today. 
The perfection of God's plan is amazing to me. How even the very things that we build up against him, he uses for his glory. He uses them for his glory to make a way when we think there's no way. I wonder if that's, you see that in your life as well. And, and the, the third thing I want to say here is the totality of God's destruction over his people. I want to show you this great picture. This is from the archaeological dig in Jericho. And uh, I want to explain to you what you're seeing here. It's kind of obvious, but what's interesting is that these, these right here are these huge clay pots, right? And they were found in the dig site in Jericho when the city was destroyed. Whatever that happened, that's what they found. And what's really interesting about these clay pots and the reason they know the city was destroyed suddenly without expectation was because these clay pots were still full of grain, provisions for the people. It reminded me of the story in the New Testament where, where Jesus says, what are you going to do with all your stuff to the guy that's put him in the barn? He's like building more barns for his stuff. He's like, you're very, this very night your soul's going to be demanded of you. This is the story of Jericho. You see, they were ready for a long siege. They thought they had a long fight ahead of them. They had all the food they needed. They had all the resources they needed to keep their people safe. That's why they put the walls up. I got everything I need in here, God. You got nothing for me. And the reality is that when the people took, when God took the city of Jericho with his people, all this was left. This is amazing to me. Because not only is the pots full, are the pots full of the grain, but all of the pots were charred and burnt. Did you hear what the word said? They burned it. They burned the city. Everything that was in it was holy for the Lord. That could have fed the army. That could have been a provision for the people. And here it is, all these years later, and it's just setting there, evidence to us. The reality is that no one, nothing or no one will stand against God and the city was totally devastated despite all our planning. And maybe, maybe that's you today, you know. Maybe you got your provisions. That, that's, that's beautiful. That's where I was. I don't need none of the stuff the preacher's talking about. That's what I thought. Pick it up now with me in verse 22. I want you to see this. Joshua said to the two men who had spied on the land, those two guys, Go to the prostitute's house, but this has been fun, and bring her out and all those that belong to her in accordance with your promise to her. Boy, that's beautiful, isn't it? So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers. Look at all those people delivered by this prostitute. And all that belonged to her, they were all saved because of her faithfulness. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside of the camp of Israel. Here it is, 24. Then they burned the entire city and everything in it. But they put gold and silver and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men that Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives amongst the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced the psalm oath, cursed be before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild the city. It still hasn't been rebuilt, by the way. Jericho, at the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations again. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. See, I saved that little bit there because it's about deliverance of Rahab. And I've told you this whole time, and I hope you're hearing me, that if you're inside that city, it's not hopeless for you. It's only hopeless if you choose to stand against God. That stuff in your life that you won't let go of, it's only hopeless if you won't let God deal with it with you. Nothing will stand. Nothing will stand. And so my final question is this. Will you invite God to tear down walls in your life? 
And today, maybe that's all it is for you. Maybe you're not sure about Jesus. Maybe you're not sure about the church. Maybe you're not sure about those friends that you know that think differently than you do. But are you even willing to invite God in? Are you even willing to take that risk and say, Lord, just tear these walls down. The city is yours. In the same way in your own life, are you willing to say those areas of your life, Lord, just take them. Just come in. I'm tired of it. I hope for you, for your sake, I get nothing out of this. I mean it. I hope for your sake that if you're there today and you find yourself on the wrong side of that wall, that you would invite God in. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that nothing we can do can protect us from him. But the truth is that nothing that we can do can restore a relationship with him except Jesus. The reason that Jesus came down, God in the flesh, is because there was no substitute for what God could do to prepare us for himself except him. He gives himself. John 3, 16, God loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe should not perish. Sounds like Jericho. But have life forever. The tragedy of Jericho is that they decided to choose to be against God. I hope for you today, if you're there, you would choose to be with him. Please join me in prayer if you would. Father, today, as we've been into your house just to worship you, and not this place, it's a building, Father, but your presence where you live, the Holy of Holies, you invite us in to speak to us. And Father, today as we come into here, maybe we've heard things that are really hard to hear. Father, I know for me this week, those things that I'm keeping from you, I'm like, not this, don't take that. Father, I, I ask for forgiveness for that. I pray, Lord, that if we are trying to make a refuge for ourselves, that we would give up on that. That if we have areas of our heart that are just hard, hard, hard against you, we would invite you to come tear that stuff down. Make us new. Your word says that when we know you, we are born again, born from above, not of human decision or will, but of God. And today, the miracle we're asking for is you would make us born again. Deliver us from your coming day of judgment, the great and terrible day of your return, that we would be caught up with you that we would be surrendered to you. And Father, for those areas of our lives that we are holding on to, I pray that you would have your way with them. I give you thanks and praise for the work you're doing here today. I'm gonna invite you as you keep your eyes closed today that if you have been convicted, and I want you to see this isn't a show, nobody's even looking, but if you've been convicted today, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. There's going to be nothing after this just to, to know you had the opportunity. I'm going to say, if there's something that you've been like, man, that is me. I got that city. Invite Jesus in. Pray with me and say, Father, I've been in the city far too long. I've been standing in opposition to you. I've been sinning against you. I've been hoping you go away. But today, Father, 
I ask you to come into my life, to come into my heart, and to change everything for me. And Lord, this isn't a show for anybody else. This is me and you talking. Save me by your grace. Make me new and clean, holy, ready for you. And Father, for those who prayed that today, I pray that you would send your spirit upon them. They would know you. No one has to convince them. They would know you as Lord and Savior. For all of us, Father, who have prayed that prayer, I give you praise and thanks today. May your kingdom continue to flourish as your enemies surrender to you. And may you take the land, Father, for your glory. We pray this mighty prayer in the completely capable name of Jesus Christ. Amen.